and welcome to Dream It, Dare It, Do It, Live the Life You Want. My name is Jasmine. I'm your host for this episode and all other episodes have been your host. I wonder if you guys know by now. Um, today, I have someone special with me. His name is Eric. Hi, Eric. Hello, Jasmine. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, how do you say your last name? Uh, it's Z is soft, like as in sugar. Okay. So Suniga. Suniga. Oh, my God. I would have said that totally wrong. <laughs> I'm happy you said it. Suniga. Wonderful. Again, ah. All right. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to let people know that I met Eric on a class we did with Rob, my friend Rob, and the, the class is called Speak and Be Heard, and Eric was part of that class, and um, the reason why I called Eric in is because I wanted to talk to him because I saw him during, I forget how many weeks was that, was that eight weeks? Thereabouts, yes. Yeah, something like that. So for eight weeks, I saw Eric every week. And he was talking. I'm not saying he wasn't talking. He was talking. But the last day, the last week, Eric spoke. Like, I mean, Eric spoke. And I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> Eric, was he here the whole time? And I just, I was very impressed with the conversation that he had. And I really just wanted to have reach out to him and I wanted everybody to meet him so Eric if you want to just introduce like let people know where you're from and what you do right sure. now yeah I could I could do that I think and uh <laughs> mostly what I've been doing is blogging about my life experiences and some of the traumatic events and coming out of them in, in a healing process, as well as consciousness. And, and when I say consciousness, not so much cognition, but more consciousness as a principle that allows us to think and to acknowledge that we are human and experiencing this thing we call reality. So uh, I'm in Northern California. And I've I've traveled around in terms of living around in different places, but most mostly Northern California. So, uh, and you're officially a three P coach. Yeah, I guess I am, and uh, it's just like, <laughs> but I don't, I don't, I really can't say that I'm an expert, although I I have an expertise in that. But I I think we're all students in a sense, not just of what we study, but in life, because I'm still learning a lot and I still have blind spots, but those are the areas that I feel are kind of ground me as well and make me feel part of this human experience. Yeah. So what I'm, for those of you who don't know what a 3P coach is, it's a three principles coach, which is, you know, the this is how I teach. I coach people coming from that basis, which is the mind thought consciousness. And so um, that's what I meant by that. And the thing that um, really, uh, this is a subject that obviously we haven't had in this 
in in my platform on my platform i've never had this this conversation that we're going to have today eric uh so you're my first you're like <laughs> you're you're the beginning of it and one of the things that you said in the last day of the class that really i wanted you to talk about is you said in that class, you said, you guys don't know, but I deal with human trafficking on a daily basis. And you guys have no idea what you could do to stop it. Or you don't even know that you're doing things that are perpetuating it. So that really, let really, um, hit me <laughs> you know like I, I was like wait I want to hear I want to know what am I doing that that what can I do so based on that um I also want to premise that you recently started talking about this yes you're you're pretty recent at learning to talk like talk about that like so what I love is that you you're daring to talk about it right because it is uh this is a hard subject it's not you know for like i was telling you in a call that we had before where i was like well for me this is what it is you know like for me it's not my daily life for you it's your daily life so i, I was really intrigued so i'm gonna let you speak now <laughs> sure sure and you know again i just have to say thanks for sharing the love and inviting me on your show and um, I want to share something about a counseling session that I did, but very briefly, because a lot of folks, and you may have uh, counseled, uh, say, veterans, and I have, and, you know, we want our armed services men and women to be healthy and experience well-being because they have seen some traumas and witnessed some things that most people are unfamiliar with and have no idea how it would affect them. And so similarly, the traumas that I've experienced, it's inimaginable to know what a person would do when they're faced with being a product for service rather than being a human for a human experience. And so I was, I was working with this veteran that, uh, because of his trauma, had uh, would ex would explode in the middle of the night. He had no idea that he he thought he was asleep, and because we were both in the state of California, he woke up and he thought, "Oh my God, there was an earthquake, a very large earthquake," because you know things were knocked down, and and he heard his cell his mobile phone rang, and uh, the voice on the other line was a relative that basically said, um, no, that wasn't an earthquake, that was you. And it was that moment for him when he realized that he had a blind spot. He had no idea what was happening in his life. And it seemed like it was out of control, but it wasn't. And I, I tell you, I worked with this man for, ooh, I would say probably a month at the most. He was able to reclaim his family 
and the trust of his community. And he was able to put closure on that traumatic past because it is the past and the past does seep into the present and it still seeps in the present for me. But the reason why I wanna share that story is because when I was four years old, I had to make a choice in life. It was either live or die. And if I live, I had to perform. I had to perform sexually. And I don't mean, I'm not gonna get into details because I, this isn't, I don't wanna activate anybody. I'm just saying that there are things that I had to do at a very young age that were basically put me in a position where I saw the world very differently than most people. And one of the individuals um, in the area happened to be a veteran. And this veteran had uh, photographed me nude. And the reason why I'm sharing you these two stories about veterans is because I want to share that just because a veteran did something to me that uh, distorted my humanity is not a reason for me to project that onto other veterans. And I think what I'm trying to say is that I had to heal because if I didn't heal, I probably would have projected my pain onto every living human being on the planet. And so healing has been very central to my life for the sake of my survival and wanting to live a life, not so much a normal life, but a life where I can reclaim my well-being, reclaim my intimacy, and parts of my childhood. Because most of my childhood, I, I'm not going to be able to reclaim it. And I didn't even realize how much of my childhood I lost because as I see children in my neighborhood, the joy, the, the carefree trust that they have is something that I started to realize that I never had that. And while I should be smiling and admiring them and being happy of their joy, sometimes I have this crushing sadness of, of a loss. It's almost like grieving the loss of my own childhood. And, uh, but I have to move on. Mm -hmm. And I have to realize that if I can transform my trauma, then there is no loss. And, all, and really what I do is I gain a gift of awareness. And so, so this is part of my journey. And um, it was, there was a very difficult period because most, like I say, most children at that age are exploring things like kites and trains and planes. And I was experiencing everything that the adult world had to offer sex, drugs, rock and roll, yeah. and, uh, and prostitution. And it, it, would pro it probably, you know, stemmed for a good part of your life also, right? Yes, and that, I think, is the reason why we're meeting today and not a year ago, because these are things that I barely even have spoke about, and some of the details I still 
and not comfortable talking about. Yeah. I was asked, as we spoke last time, I was asked by someone, hey, Eric, can you tell me who this person was or who that person was? And I said, no, I can't do that right now. I don't feel safe. Yeah. Because the people who put me in that position were very powerful people. And, um, and I've noticed um, with some of the opportunities I've had with other survivors is that they have shared similar stories and that while, because they were trafficked, they also had related to me that the people that trafficked them were in very powerful positions. And so it's sort of, uh, it was very affirming, but it's also very sad mm -hmm. that it's invisible and uh, yeah, sexual. Yeah, go ahead. It is. It is definitely invisible because like I told you on my, our last call, I was like, you know, in my mind, I told you what the image of human trafficking was, you know, it was like basically people, you know, were getting stolen from the street. And then there was like this auction in a black room with people with chains and there was bidding on people. And, and like, you kind of like, you kind of brought me back to, to saying, okay, well, this might actually happen in other countries that are not as civilized as we're supposed to be. Uh <laughs> we're very sophisticated in how we go about it. And so we have a wonderful appearance of functionality, but below that appearance, there's an undertow. But that doesn't mean that uh, people like myself who've been trafficked don't have an opportunity to live a full, engaging, and, and life of well-being. It just means that we know something through our experience that most people have a difficult time understanding that is real. And some people I've spoke to, it's, it's so frightening for them to hear these details that the best they can do is say, well, it's over, so everything's great. <laughs> but it has taken decades for me to have a voice. It's taken decades for me to forgive these perpetrators and predators. And that's part of my healing process. And it's also part of my healing process to hold um, some of them accountable. So it's just, it's just what makes sense for healing. That's, that's primary in my life is healing. Yeah. So how, how, like, what are, I don't even know how to ask the question, but now that, now that you're, you're able to speak now, like you're not, I know that you're not talking about certain things and that's fine. I think that's fine. I think there are boundaries, but what has brought you to speaking more about it? I think that I think that it's important for somebody, like if somebody was going through this right now, or somebody has what you just said, where, oh, well, now it's over, I can move on. But you know that there's something that needs to happen, like a, a healing that needs to occur. Like, what would you say to them? What? I'm not sure what I would say, but I have a story that might be an approach to it. Okay. So as I was saying, I had to make a choice at four years old to either perform or to die. And when I say to die, that means someone would have drugged me, 
and someone would have found my dead little body and the doctor would have just said, well, you know, he ate some dirt in the yard and the dirt in the yard happened to have some chemi toxic chemicals and he died. And that would have been the end of the story. And nobody would have known. They just would have thought I was a silly little kid, which I was, and very explorative. And so, um, so that's as far as the story would go. And after that experience, and I'm fortunate because my trafficking only lasted probably less than two years. And, uh, and I thought, you know what, I'm out. I can, I have to be, you know, I've, my vigilance was always there, but I felt like I could start trying to, to, to recuperate my life. Well, what happened was, is uh, another predator came along. And for many people who've experienced traumas, uh, abusive or sexually abusive traumas, it's cyclical. There's, it is somehow there's always another one in the wings waiting to take their turn. And this individual happened to be a priest. Right at the time when I was starting to learn about my intimacy um, as a teenager. And, and at that point, um, it was devastating. And I thought, this is going to ruin me. I've already been through an abyss as a, as a child, and now I'm going to be through another abyss as a teenager. And so um, I just tried my best to forget about it and not even talk about it. However, a few years ago, I was on the internet and I thought, you know, I bet this guy is dead by now. And I looked up on the internet and I saw that he was still alive. But that isn't what the shocker. Here's what the shocker was. I read letters of, of sexual abuse that he had done to other boys. And I just felt compelled to open my mouth from my silence because when I read those letters, it was very clear to me that these other boys didn't have a voice. They couldn't talk. They could say F you and F this, but that's as far as they could go. And I know in this society, nobody listens to that kind of language. And so it was at that moment I realized I had to reach out. I had to contact a law firm. And in the state of California, there is a window that is now very close to closing. I think it's AB 218. I could be wrong, but it is a stipulation in the law in which if it's been more than 20 years that an individual has been abused by an, someone in an organization, that they have a right to contact a law firm and that law firm can represent them and uh, help them uh, with not only compensation, but also letting other people know in the community that these things are real and they happen to boys as much as they happen to girls. And I know the statistics always show that these things happen to girls more but boys are really at the top of the list when it comes to these organizations. And because so it was speak, at that- Right, the boys uh, don't speak. Excuse me? The, the boys don't speak, they don't say. Right, right. They um, were taught 
to be strong and stoic. And this is such an emotional thing that when, when, when a young boy or young teen is told, don't show your emotions, it is an almost a direct way of saying, don't talk about anything emotional. And, and this is such an emotional topic. And so that's when I started speaking out. That's when I started writing about it. And if you were to look at some of my writings, they're very fragmented. Um, there's a lot of religiosity. I was a very uh, devout uh, Catholic, and I am a very devout uh, spiritual person at this point. My whole life is really a spiritual exploration through a human form, really, is how I see it. Um, and while these events were very uh, traumatic, somehow they've been turning around. And to be able to speak on behalf of these other people has given me strength. Um, we're all innocent, and we're all innocent as children. And I just feel, like I say, I just have started to gravitate to speaking about this topic on their behalf and behalf of the many children that do not have a voice. And some children knowing that this is going to mess up their whole world of intimacy and their social world, some of them make a decision to not live life anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, and so this is a reality in, in, well, America is one of the wealthiest countries in the world. These are some of the things that happen in most every community. And we're beginning to see it's becoming more and more obvious. And so I feel that this is a time to speak out and to let people know that if their child or grandchild, or if they experienced it themselves, that my arms are open to embrace them and to be as supportive as I can in their healing journey, because you can, you can heal from this. This is the most amazing thing about the spirit. It, it, ha it has such a resiliency that I had to, uh, it had to be self-evident. I couldn't find it in a book. There's no building or organization I could go to that says, you know, for sexually traumatic, blah, 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 abused people, this is office number three, second floor. It doesn't exist. So it's grassroots. It's, it's each individual has to extend their arm to, to another human so that we can truly be connected and truly have a safe community and a safe society. I hope that answers the question. Well, I have an, I have a follow-up question. Has it has it helped you to to talk about it to stop keeping it in? It helps me to talk about it because it I get more clear about the experiences and I get more clear about that I really am not in that place anymore. Mm. And I think that's very affirming. And I also want other people to become aware of it. And I want to be a voice in the case that there may not be a, a people in the community speaking up, that 
they can hear this and know that, you know, this could be helpful in some way. But I also want to share something else because there is something that I've noticed that a lot of uh, therapeutic centers or counseling centers or wellness centers are using, and it's called being trauma-informed training, okay? And trauma-informed training uh, is about bringing people to the awareness that there's those individuals like myself who've been traumatized may have certain behaviors uh, withdrawn or possibly overtly sexual, or, um, you know, we're talking about hypersexuality and hyposexuality. And so while people could be trained on these and get a certificate, I don't think anyone's ever really going to fully know or understand, even me as someone who's experienced it, never going to fully know or understand what another person is experiencing with their trauma, but I could be there to the best of my ability. So it's like saying, I want to understand you, but I, not, I may never understand you, but I stand with you in support, right? These are the slogans that are coming out now, and they're very powerful because we may never understand why this stuff is happening, but we'll do whatever we can to be in support of someone who is going through it, even if that person is being very dramatic and they don't know how to talk about it other than, like I say, being very dramatic with emotions. And so is there something that everybody can do? Yes, there's something. And it's to recognize that some people who say are using chemicals or who are being dramatic or overtly sexual, and if they turn to you and they are seeking help, it's very easy to say, hey, this person's trash. We don't need to help them. But these people that appear as trash, because I'm sure I have at many points in my life, it wasn't because I was trash. It was because I was in so much pain that I didn't know how to present myself and be understood and communicate. And so when someone gives a person a chance, and I'll give you an example. I was driving a vehicle, my car, and there is a woman. It was cl close to 11 o'clock at night, and there is a woman on the side of the street at a gas station, and it looked like she was semi-conscious. And I felt really concerned for her. And I stopped, and I said, look, do you need a ride somewhere? She goes, okay. I said, can you sit in the back seat? And she sat in the back seat. And I said, I'll take you to wherever you want to go. And one of the things she said is she solicited herself. Now, most people would think, oh, well, this person, they, that's just their technique. No, it's not their technique. When someone solicits themselves, it's their way of, it's their blind spot. They're still living in that memory, that trauma. And they feel that in order to feel safe, they have to do what they were enslaved to do in the beginning, like me. I was enslaved to perform. So every time I came across a person that had an interest in me physically, I felt enslaved to perform, whether it was a man or a woman, a professor at the university I went to, whoever it was, I was going to perform for them because I was afraid that if I didn't, I would be killed. So those messages lived on 
even through my college years. So when this woman said, solicited me, I just brushed it off and I said, no, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you. And she immediately knew where I was coming from. And she said, oh, thank you. Please take me to this place where I can, you know, be safe. And I did. And I dropped her off. I said, is there anything else? And she goes, no, I'm going to be okay. So we, we can encounter these people and we could look at people on the street as uh, vagrants or low life, but these are real people. Some of these people were professors. Some of these people had families. And, um, and again, they're, they're hitting a point in their, a very low point in their life. But if they're given a chance, and we all deserve a second chance, the possibility of them healing and restoring their well being will always be there. It's an endless potential yes. that we oh, all have if we just give a fellow human being a chance. It's always possible. It's always possible. So we've almost busted our time already, but I have a question. Um, so when you said what you said in the class, do you remember what you said, that there are things that we could do as a society that we don't even know we could do simple things that would? Here's, here's something really cool. Yeah. I don't know. It's got to be a, every, every community must have this. I don't know if they have it, but I, they've got to have it. In the state of California, there is a website, and the website is basically uh, a site to end domestic violence. Okay. And there are other sites that talk about this. Now, listen to this. This is the cool part. In order to participate in these trainings, which are called uh, domestic violence advocacy trainings, DVAT. In order to participate in them, you cannot be a predator. That means if every human in a community participates in this training, that means it's going to be very clear who the predators are and who the advocates are. Because everybody will now have this badge of honor to say, look, I am either a victim, I'm a survivor, I'm a counselor, I'm a therapist, and I'm going to take this training to verify that I am here for other people. And the only people who can't take it are the ones who have perpetrated. So now it becomes very clear in a community who, who is what each person is experiencing. And, and, and it's a pretty clear indicator that, that, that they're safe people. And the more safe people there are to go to, the less these events are going to happen because it, that's what we need. We need to have communities that boldly show safe people. And this is one way to do it. Hmm. There's several. There's many. We could go on and on. Yeah. I think that's like a really important one because anybody can take that training. You don't even have to be a therapist. Eric, thank you so much for accepting my invitation to come and chat with me. Absolutely. I, um, I really, I really, you know, I, I hope that you will continue to speak and that other people are going to invite you. And I know that you're going to make a difference in the world. So keep, keep doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very happy for you. And I'm happy that you accepted to, to come and chat. 
Thank you for the chat. It's been marvelous. I appreciate it, Jasmine. And just for the people who are listening, um, what is your website? I'm going to put everything in the description, but how can they reach out to you if they want to talk to you? If there's anything that someone has on their mind and they want to reach out, please. My website is my name. It's ericsuniga.com, E-R-I-C-Z-U-N-I-G-A dot C-O-M. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. I'm going to tell everybody else that they should dream it, dare it, do it, and live the life they want. <laughs> so take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Oh